Thank you, Kathy. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you that you make clear that the things that we read in your word are written for our instruction. Uh, we come as disciples eager to unlearn the old ways and learn the teachings of Jesus so that we can be like him. Help us in this, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, making and maturing disciples is what Jesus Christ has called us to do. Regularly remembering and realigning ourselves with this key and great goal is vital. That's why we've spent time in recent weeks revisiting it. So far, we've asked the question, why do we make disciples? Giving the answer, because God's goal in all of history is to glorify his son in the midst of the people he has rescued from darkness. Now, what are we making? What is a disciple? That was the second question we asked. A disciple is a forgiven sinner devoted to becoming like Jesus through learning and keeping the teachings of Jesus. Learn those. The big question, though, is how? How are disciples made? What does God want me to actually do to help the unbelievers and believers that he has sovereignly plonked into my life take steps closer to Jesus? Like Callum. Callum's in my life. We run a kids club together. He knows I'm a Christian, but he really has no clue what I believe or what the Bible teaches. Uh, the first question he asked when I uh, said I'm a minister was, oh, does that mean you believe in ghosts? So how do I make him a disciple? Or what about Mark? Uh, I've been reading the Bible with Mark one to one for about two years, slowly working through the Gospel of John. He says he believes in Jesus, but he shows no sign of true conversion. How do I make a disciple of Mark or Alex? Uh, Alex is a new Christian converted within the last year, and he is uh, he is super keen to learn and become more like Jesus. How do I disciple him now that he is a disciple? And lastly, Pablo. Pablo is a mature believer. He's fantastic, actually. He is loving God, knows God's word, leads in prayer, at prayer meetings and so on. You know, you want your daughter to marry someone like him when she's older. How do I disciple him as a mature believer? Well, I want to show you in this sermon that the method for disciple making is the same in each case. I want to tell you about the four P's of disciple making before showing you something of the simplicity of it. So first of all, how do we make disciples? Firstly, the first P of our four P's is proclaim God's word. The proclamation of the word of God by Christ learners is the primary means for making more Christ learners. That's how you became a Christian. In 1 Peter uh, 2, uh, 1 Peter 1, 23, it says, you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. So how, somebody, how did you get that? Somebody shared it with you. That's how. People become disciples when they hear, believe and obey God's word. Now the proclamation of the word of God by Christ learners also is the means of growing other Christ learners. We'll look at this in more detail next week, actually. But Colossians makes this super clear for us. Uh, in chapter 1, verse 29, Paul says what he does and what he's aiming for. Uh, he says, uh, 28, sorry, he is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone mature in Christ. So the speaking or the proclamation of the word of God by preachers 
is a means of making disciples. That's what Paul's talking about in this immediate context. People who are essentially gospel workers. But we know from what it says in chapter 3, it's not just preachers and gospel workers who do this. In chapter 3 and verse 16, proclamation is everyone's business. Let the message of Christ dwell among you, the church family, richly as you teach and admonish. Same words. Each other with all wisdom. Same words, same terms, same means, same goals. The proclamation of the word then by Christ learners is the primary means of making and growing disciples. It's clear. The question is, are we? Are we proclaiming God's word in order to, I guess, make new disciples? Now, I'm not saying this is the very first thing you do, but certainly this is what we must get to. Open God's word and talk about it. Now, you can certainly do it with the Bible in front of you, but you can do it when you don't. Um, and if, uh, maybe a friend of yours is anxious in times like these. You can say, you know, when I'm worried, I pray to God, I thank him and firstly for all the ways he's blessed me. And then I lay before him the things that make me anxious and I trust him to give me peace. Now, what have I just done? I've proclaimed God's word. There's no doubt I could have just opened up to Philippians 4 and read that passage verbatim. And there's definitely a place for that. There's a, it's a real place for opening it up and showing people in black and white exactly what it says. But whenever we take the teachings of the Bible and reteach it to others, we are proclaiming the word of God. When we've got something up here that we shape and talk about with our mouths, it works. Are you proclaiming God's word to not just make disciples, but grow other disciples, people who are already Christ followers? Now, this is definitely what our Sunday services are for, but it's also what all our small groups for. It really should be what everything we do is for. And it's what our informal get-togethers are for, to build each other up. Now, what we do in those situations is essentially teach what we've been taught. We not only speak, but we essentially re-speak what has been spoken to us. Teach the lessons you've been taught. Pass on the verses someone has passed on to you. So you can fill this brain, this memory machine, with good truth so that it's on tap and overflowing. That means, of course, that we should read our Bibles, talk about it, memorise it, and pray that it sticks. How do we make disciples is the question we're asking. The first thing is we proclaim God's word. What about the second thing? Well, two, we pray for God's help. You see, Making and growing disciples is dependent on the Holy Spirit. Uh, 19th century preacher Charles Spurgeon once said, suppose that without, divi with divi without divine aid, you should try to save a soul. You might as well attempt to make a world. We can share the truth of God with others, but to apply that truth to the heart and conscience is quite another thing. He said, I have preached Jesus Christ with my whole heart, and yet I have never produced a saving effect, <coughs> excuse me, upon a single soul, unless the Spirit of God has opened the heart and placed the living seed of truth within it. And he's absolutely right. He's relaying simply what the Apostle Paul has said in 1 Thessalonians, when he reported how these new disciples came to faith. In 1 Thessalonians 1, we read, we know, brothers and sisters, Loved by God that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not simply with words, it did come with words, proclamation, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit 
and deep conviction. You see, the Holy Spirit is at work in our disciple making to give our words the effectiveness they would not otherwise have, whether that's speaking to a non-Christian or to a Christian. At every point in the making of Christ learners, the Holy Spirit is at work, but that doesn't mean we do nothing. It means we pray. Prayer is a crucial part of making and growing Christ learners. Colossians chapter 4 tells us this as well. It talks about this in clear terms. Here's what Paul, a disciple-making pro, with all the knowledge and expertise that he has, says he really needs when making disciples. Devote yourselves to prayer. This is verse 2 of chapter 4. Being watchful and thankful and pray for us too that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Open doors. That's what Paul needs and God can do that. That's why he prays. Boldness. That too is what Paul needs. That's why he prays. It's crucial. Prayer is this essential part of what we do. It goes out with power and prayer lays hold of that power. Now, if prayer was crucial for Paul, it is certainly crucial for us. If we're not praying like that, I guess you could say you could use Colossians 2, 2 to 6 as a prayer this, uh, Colossians 4, 2 to 6 as a prayer this week. God's word turned back to him in prayer is the best thing we can offer, so go for it. Maybe if you find that hard, the best thing you could do is to get some help. I find praying with others one of the greatest incentives to pray. So we make disciples. How? Proclaim God's word. That's the first thing. Pray for God's help. That's the second thing. The third thing? People get involved. The church plays a central and a critical part in the making and growing of Christ learners. When you think about it, with all the power and ability, the creative ability that God has, God could have made himself known and his people grow in any way he chose. He could have done it automatically. He could have written stuff in the clouds for us. He could have just sent angels to speak to us anytime he wants. But in his infinite wisdom and knowledge, he resolved to gain glory for himself by putting his gospel in the mouths of the people that he has redeemed from darkness and then employing them in his service. So it's a privilege for us. I find this diagram useful. If you take all that the church is called to be and do in the New Testament and really boil it down, properly boil it down, you could basically summarise it in these three ways. Every local church is called to glorify, edify and testify. To glorify God, to edify itself, which means to build itself up, to mature. And to testify means to tell the world about Christ, to testify to his goodness. So to make new disciples, we do those things. And in doing so, all that wrapped up helps us glorify God. So you see what this means. Uh, God does not routinely, routinely use any other means. He does not employ just one or two in the task. It's the church, it's everyone, it's every disciple who is employed in this task. So it's not just something that gifted people do. It's something that all believers do. Yes, uh, we know there are some people who are just amazing at evangelism, uh, but all are evangelists. Some are very gifted at what we call discipleship, but, but we're all disciple makers, helping each other grow in Christ-likeness. Disciple making, you see, is essentially a team game. The question is, are we playing 
like a team? Are we all involved? When I was a kid, I played football uh, for a kiddies team called uh, Broxburn Colts, and our ambition was always to win, uh, to play as a team by playing our part in the position that we were given. Now, if we were struggling in some aspect of it, in some game, you know, we used to pass to a guy called Craig Barton. He was the guy who was annoyingly good at every sport. Now, Craig was so good, played in centre midfield, that he'd draw players in, leaving you with tons of place, to, uh, tons of space to score. So he did an awful lot of work, and all I had to do was be the forward to stick it in the net, mostly. Now, but so we make the most of the Craig Martins in our church. Um, uh, and discipleship is something that we then do as a team. We can encourage other people to join us and help us, if we find it hard, to make it easier. That's what hospitality provides. You know, no one needs to do this on their own. We can tag team. Now, sometimes what we need to do that for others as well, though, because some players are a little bit weaker or weirier, like Simon Haddle. He was my strike partner up front. He's the kid whose mum kind of made him join the team, but he really wasn't on board. He, he was lazy and left the winning of the game to others. But with a bit of encouragement and a few lessons in how to do the basics, like stay on side, it made all the difference. He found he had a part to play, and he did. Now, I'm not just reminiscing here. I'm actually making a point. The encouragement for us is to realise that, that how, as part of the means by which God makes disciples, is that he puts us all in a team to do it together. And if we are not all pulling together for the same purpose of making disciples, we can't expect it to happen. So what I want us to do and encourage us as a church family to do is to share the same ambition, work together towards these disciple-making goals of making and new and growing current disciples. It's everyone's business. So get the evangelist round for teas with your uh, tea with your calums, and let's put on some basic discipleship classes for our Simon Haddos. But more than that, it's not just about information transformation. Get people alongside you, let them watch you do it, so they learn from your practice, not just from tips and skills. Now, without the people of God uh, proclaiming the word of God in a powerful, in powerful and prayerful dependence on the Spirit of God, people like my friends Callum and Mark will not become disciples. And people like Alex and Pablo will end up not growing. That's why this is important. So those are the three things. Fourth thing, the fourth P is very, very important for us. Perseverance. Persevere, trusting in God. Making and growing disciples takes time. When, uh, and when you do something over a long period of time and perhaps you don't see much progress, it's really easy to give up. But in disciple making, we just can't. Nothing can deter us from doing this. Disciple making is never done, not until Christ returns or you die, whichever comes first. But disciple making requires perseverance. So think about it. How long did it take for you to get from the point of first hearing about Jesus or hearing the gospel to the point of believing in Jesus. It took me six months and it was not plain sailing for those who were trying to disciple me. After four of those months, actually, I cut off contact with those who had been speaking God's word to me and I was not very nice when I did that. They could easily have given up on me, but they persevered 
in prayer. They prayed for me over two weeks worth of lunch times and they persevered with me and were gracious to me uh, to get in touch again and invite me back despite my behaviour. I guess the same goes for growing in Christ's likeness as a disciple. Can you identify an area of growth? Uh, how long did it take for you to see progress in putting some sin to death and putting some virtue in its place? It's not a click of the fingers, is it? It takes the kind of patience and indeed the type of perseverance that we find in the New Testament that God has. So let me ask you, do you have that? Do we have that as a church? Or have we given up? You know, despondent disciples won't make disciples. Trust God's timing. Keep doing what he's called you to do, even if there isn't much fruit at first. You know, sometimes I think uh, we tie ourselves in knots with expectations when it comes to disciple making. We make disciple making into this great big scary thing when in fact it really is quite a simple thing to do. And this is the second major point in the practical simplicity of disciple making. Let me picture it for you, uh, even with this diagram that we're building throughout this series. In the diagram, the people in darkness represent those who don't believe the gospel. The people in light are God's saved people. The cross in the middle, that's what we're moving unbelievers towards by the four Ps. The throne at the end, that's what we... That's what we've to disciple disciples towards. How? Through the four Ps. Now that doesn't often happen in sudden huge jumps, but in tiny steps taken over time. Which makes disciple making for us as simple as helping people wherever they are on that spectrum to take a step to the right towards Christ or towards maturity in Christ. That's what the arrow in the diagram represents. And that's what I want to encourage us as a church family to practice. Don't just picture it like we have in this diagram, but practice it. So the goal of every form of disciple making could be as simple as helping each person that God sovereignly puts into our lives, wherever they happen to be, to take a step to the right. How does that then help me very practically disciple my four friends? Well, for Callum, the guy I do the kids club with, it's going to be asking him for a drink and chatting a bit more about what he believes. Because I naturally expect that spending time with him will create an opportunity with him to pitch in with something that, I, that clears up what Christians believe and uh, uh, not about ghosts, but about Christ. For Mark, it's to prioritise the one-to-one -one that I've been doing in my calendar and asking God to help him see that he's not a believer and to believe, to be courageous in that. For Alex, the new newest believer, it's about getting him involved in a growth group. He can grow so much more by broadening the number of Christian friends that he enjoys. And for Pablo, uh, the mature believer, it's getting him and his wife round for a meal and inspiring him with a passion for discipling younger men in the church who can benefit from his wisdom. The women can do that for women too. We can do that together for brothers and sisters. Well, what about you? What would it be for your friends if you were to pause and think about four different people that God has placed in your life? A couple of people who are not Christians, a couple of people who are. What does it look like to disciple them through the four Ps? What does it look like to help them take just one step to the right, closer to Christ? 
wherever they are or wherever you are, help them do just that. Take that one step to the right, closer to Christ. That's what disciple makers do. By the persevering proclamation of the word of God, by the people of God, in prayerful dependence on the spirit of God. That's how. Well, don't just take it from me. I had the joy of recording an interview with a couple of brothers doing just this kind of thing this week. Let's watch this and see what they have to say. Well, uh, I'm glad to have uh, Ross Jameson and Barry Sprott joining me. Uh, we've been talking a lot in our uh, Disciple Making series about one-to-ones these last couple of weeks. And uh, you both meet for one yourselves. Can you tell us how did that come about? Ross, can you start us off? Yeah, so Barry um, was giving me a lift home one day and he mentioned in passing that he was looking for someone to uh, from Yak to do one-to-one with. Um, and I'd been kind of encouraged myself to start one anyway with, and kind of um, just seemed like the perfect opportunity to take up on it. So I just kind of jumped in there with that. Oh, good. So you were, you'd heard about one-to-ones mm-hmm. and uh, you heard Barry talk about one. So why ask him, apart from the fact that he was volunteering and looking for one, why ask someone like Barry? Um, it was good. <laughs> Barry was very visible as a kind of older member in the chapel um, to Yak with his involvement with the kind of Yak table parents. So and I kind of got, yeah. So I'd gotten to know him over the last year, and I knew he was an elder. I knew he was um, had been a Christian for many years, and I just wanted to um, just meet up with someone with his experience and get to know him better and uh, look at the Bible together. Well, that was very discreetly put, may I say, Uh, Barry? (laughs) Barry, why say yes to someone like Ross? Um, Ask well, I I think. Well, first of all, I, I, I knew uh, something of Ross because I was the table adopter for his table and uh, I, I knew his wife as well. Um, and uh, we, we also had a bit of a link in that uh, Ross had been the president of the Christian Union at Queen Margaret uh, and I had been the same. I'd been president 40 years before Ross had. <laughs> and uh, so there we had a little link there. Um, but uh, I really recognised in Ross uh, real leadership potential. And I thought, you know, this is a young man who is worth investing in. And, uh, and so I was I had no hesitation in saying yes when he asked me. That's great. Now, this is something that you do a fair bit, isn't it? You've got a few one-to-ones on the go at a time. Yes. I had, somebody had to come to an end with me, and therefore I had a space. And that's why I, I made that dimension to the, the group. Uh, because I think, you know, having been a Christian 46 years, I should have something to offer in terms of encouragement and and support, particularly for a, a young man making his uh, his way in life, as it were. Absolutely. So break it down for us, Barry. What do you do? Um, does it change from person to person or week to week? Or what, what does it look like? Yeah, well, I do, I do different booklets with different people. In fact, I like a, a booklet because that guides our conversation. And it forces us into a real spiritual, uh, valuable stuff. Uh, I, I, I tend to, to like the, the booklets that we can get from the Faith Mission Bookshop, which uh, is good book company. The first one we did, Ross and I did one called Godly Manhood, Man of God. Yeah. And then with another one from the SU Life Builder series, which is uh, Seven on the Mount. And uh, 
we 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 meet regularly, either weekly or or fortnightly. Um, we do our preparation in advance. Uh, we always make sure we meet in a nice venue for coffee, etc. Uh, we have time for. <laughs> we compare notes. We work our way through the the, the passages, and uh, we add other wee bits in now and again uh, as we go along. Uh, and then we always allow some time for just general update, chat, and prayer. Yeah, that's great. That's it, really. So you generally have um, weekly or uh, bi-weekly uh, involves God's Word? Yes, that's right. Um, uh, you're studying these booklets to help you do that together. Now, can you tell me, uh, Ross, how have you found this? What's been your experience of this? Uh, has it opened your eyes to new teaching or what's it been like? Yeah, it's really um, kind of been an encouragement to me in my faith. Uh, it's helped me to open up the Bible in a public place um, to not be ashamed of praying in a coffee shop in middle of Edinburgh. Sure. Um, it's been good just to kind of open up the Bible together to look at it with someone with someone else's eyes and to discuss what you both see and see what God's trying to speak to you about. Excellent. And so how has this helped you both then? So not just you, Ross. But how has this helped you both take some of those tiny steps closer to Christ? Ross, you start us off. Yeah, as I said, um, by looking at um, God's word, looking at we we're looking at the Beatitudes more recently on Seven and the Right, um, and just looking at the kind of principles of um, a godly man, of looking at what Christ has called us to be, and how we can bear up to that, we can... It highlights our own flaws, highlights our own failings, and helps us to look on the ways we need to, uh, things we need to work on to uh, become more like Christ. Yeah, and then we pray about those things um, afterwards, which is really encouraging. That's great. And uh, Barry, what about yourself? How has this helped you, even as someone who is disciple-making, how has this helped you grow closer to Christ? Well, it's, it's helped me immensely, uh, to be honest, Liam. It uh, keeps me on my spiritual toes. Yeah. Uh, but I think one of the, the really valuable aspects is the fact that because I'm, I'm an older man now, uh, it, it's very easy as you grow older to become a bit spiritually sloppy or flabby. Uh, and uh, it's a challenge. The, the word of God is always a challenge uh, whenever you read it, isn't it? And it's, to me, to be honest, to have an opportunity to speak for an hour with another young man, a Christian man, about the Lord. What can be more enjoyable, more fulfilling, more encouraging than that? And I mean, I get an immense uh, kick out of that, and it puts a real spirit, uh, uh, a real—I don't know what how you would call it—spring in my step, you could say, spirit, spiritual step. Uh, and and I'm happy to do these uh, as long as the, the Lord wants me to do them. To be honest, that's fantastic. Thank you both. Really appreciate it. Not Thanks. at all. Thank you, Ross. Well, that's inspiring, isn't it? Doesn't it make you want to get someone to disciple you, to go and ask someone, or maybe to go and ask someone else if you could disciple them? The other thing to realise, of course, is it doesn't have to be in a one-to-one. -one. You could do it in a group of three or in a group of four, a little micro group together, doing the very same things. is a great way to spend your time. Now, to make these things happen, there's no doubt the best way to do it is to make the most of the connections and relationships you've already got. Grab someone that you look up to and aspire to be like, ask them if they could disciple you. Or if you are someone who is mature in their faith, then ask someone if they would like to be in a one-to-one -one with you or a small group with you. 
connect with people in those ways. Of course, if uh, you would like more help to connect with people, if you'd like us to connect you with a couple of folks who could do a one-to-one -one with you or something like that, email the office. We are happy to serve you in any way we can. And don't forget, this whole principle of the how of disciple making and the four Ps and the practical simplicity of disciple making and helping each other take just one step to the right, one step closer to Christ, either in salvation or in our sanctification. This applies as much in all the organisational, structural ministries of our church too. This is what our small groups are for. This is what everything in our church should be about. It's what pleases Christ. Now, let's join together in asking God to help us, though, not to neglect the prayer aspect of it. Indeed, to help us remember to pray and why we're praying, why we're doing this, why we're all about disciple making. We finish our service with this song, Facing a Task Unfinished, that drives us to our knees. <laughs>